Oh man, I'm watching that video, and I don't I don't know what it does to you, but uh, man, I, it's it's hard for me to hold the emotion in watching that, and all the many chapters that have taken place, and all the many things that have happened in five short years. Raise your hand if you were here five years ago. Woo, man, look at that. That's amazing, and you know. You know the ride that we've been on, the amazing, amazing things that have happened the last couple of years. If you're here for the first time again, welcome. We're so glad you're here. My name is Andy, one of the uh, campus and the teaching pastors uh, for K2 and, and down here in the, in the South. And we are really glad that you're here today. You know, when we talk about K2 a lot, one of the, one of the illustrations, the pictures that comes to mind the most is that of a roller coaster. <laughs> really, really. We talk about this all the time. Any roller coaster buffs in here? Yeah, n- n- just yell out your favorite. Which one? Come on. Which one would be your favorite? The Beast? No, come on. That's child's play. Anybody else? <laughs> Magnum? The Magnum. <laughs> Is that like county fair material? What? what? Come on. Uh, <laughs> I'm like insulting your roller coaster as like a family member. Sorry. Yeah, I'll tell you, the, the best roller coaster that I have ridden, and, and don't scoff at me, you're going to be like, whatever, man, I did that in third grade. Goliath, anybody ridden Goliath? Yeah, over in Six Flags? Yeah, see, I totally got that. I got some attitude from the third row. You're like, whatever. So Goliath is this unbelievable, I mean, you stand in line. They're, they're just magnificent at designing these roller coasters, aren't they? They, they put the line right next to the posts that vibrate, you know, and, and, and it's going over your head and it anticipates all... All the fear as you as you move closer and closer to the front of the line. Goliath is 255 foot drop at a 61 degree angle, which is like that. Well, it feels like that, and and it, it drops 255 feet and it goes like blur, which I think is around 85 miles per hour. I don't know, but it it goes all the way down, and then when it hits the bottom, have you have you ridden this? When it hits the bottom, it goes into the ground. And through a, like, a 120 foot long dark tunnel. And when you're, you know what I'm talking about, when you, when you get in the car and it like, you know, and it goes all down, you're holding on and you go up the hill, you no, know, but I'm cool. You know, and you, and you're like, well, I should have worn, you know, like extra pair of underwear and going, and, and it just, and they, and, and they don't put you over fast, do they? They just kind of let you sit there for a second. And then you go down, all the way down, and you're like, no, into the ground at 85 miles an hour. And then the rest of, of it is like tumble dry, right, spin cycle, corkscrews and everything. And, and then you come all the way back around, and your friends who have been standing in line see you come off, and they're like, oh, dear Lord, right? And you get off, and what do you do? You get back on. Well, I mean, you throw up, and then you get back on, right? Got to take care of business, right? Yeah, of course, you you get back on, you go right for it. The first time I rode Goliath, uh, all I remember was the hill. And, and the rest of it, I just remember things collecting at the back of my head, like tears, <laughs> spit, gum, whatever. It just collects at the back of your head. You're peeling things off, right? And then and then you have to ride it again. You're like, wow, there was a corkscrew. I never knew that. Never knew that our our you know roller coaster came off the track into the parking lot. Didn't see that coming, you know, right? And so you got to ride it again and again. So that you can get the full experience. All right, so that's exactly what K2 has been like. It's like there's this one hill five years ago, and you're like, no! And you go all the way, and then there's like another hill. 
in and you look, there's another hill. The ride continues to go and to go and to go. And here we are five years later. And we're climbing this hill again. And there is a lot more ride ahead of this little tiny church. I think that's been the story the whole entire time. We are still discovering all the time. We're discovering new things about what God wants us to do for K2. New campuses, right? New areas to reach out in mission and purpose and what he's calling us to. New friends. Even today, some of you new who are, who are coming to K2 for the first time. We, we don't even know each other and we're going to become friends. New miracles that God is doing in people's lives. New details. Man, all the time, new details about who God is, His character, what He's calling us to do as a church, almost around every single bend. And I need to tell you, I had no idea, no idea at all the ride would be like this when we started five years ago. I, I, you, you saw it on the video, like we didn't even think anyone would come. We're, there's just a, several of us, you know, like about 120, I think, 130 started K2, and we were just like, we don't know if anyone will come, you know. Yeah, I invited my mailman. Maybe he'll come. Yeah, you just, we don't even know. Who knew what was around the corner? We didn't, we didn't even know what this boat would float or it would fly or it would even work. But we just did it. God asked. He said, just do it. Just go for it and do it. And that is the crazy thing about life. The crazy thing is that we have no idea, do we? We just really don't have any idea about the future and what's going on in our story and what's going to take place when you turn the page of your story. I don't know if your life is like that, but mine mine is so like that. I'm, I'm discovering all the time new details around every single bend. Like, like I think I know what tomorrow's going to look like and suddenly there's a new direction, a new horizon, a new, a new detail unfolds that makes my story so much richer and I go, ah. Sometimes painful, but the story continues to weave and turn. And so as a church, we are still discovering and we're still going there. You know, I think back on my story and uh, it was around age 12 for me that I was hanging out with this guy named Dave Rodquist and, and Dave was a pastor and I was hanging out with him all the time and we would camp and we would, you know, eat snakes and kill rabbits and, you know, do manly uh, things and grow beards. Well, I can grow a beard 12, but, you know, we would, we would, we would do things like this and, 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 and we would do all kinds of stuff for the church. And I remember at age 12, really feeling a call of God on my life to, man, like, I would love to go into ministry. I'd love to do that. Clearly, I remember that at 12. At age 17, I started preaching and delivered, I think, my first message in church. At age 20, I realized that being a pastor didn't pay any money. So I totally deleted that track. And went into business and uh, thought that, you know, I, I, would do, I would do something else. At age 21, my life changed again, new direction, as I married my bride, Beth. And life changed completely in an instant, knowing her. Shortly after that, the direction changed again when I realized I was waking up every single morning completely unhappy about not obeying God and it's what He was calling me to do. And then life changed again, a brand new direction around another bend. And I ended up in Utah. Utah? Yeah, I ended up here. And then I met this guy in a coffee shop and, and at a party and then at a coffee shop. His name was Dave Nelson. And he was go, he, he said to me, this is kind of what he said. He, he said, you know, we're, we're starting this thing called K2. We don't know where we're going to meet. We don't know who's going to come. We don't know what we're going to do. We have no money to pay you. You should join our team. I'm like, what are, what are you saying? 
What, what, what is that? That's a horrible close. You should work on that close. That went home. Beth's like, what do you say? I don't, I'm like, I don't know. I think he might be delusional. I don't know. And I sort of like it. I sort of like it. And life changed again. And the page of my story, the page of our family's story changed again. And we fell in love with this crazy guy, Dave Nelson, and this amazing vision, and this phenomenal call for KTO. And my story continues to morph and grow every day. I, I don't even know what's going to happen this afternoon. I, I don't know what tomorrow looks like. I'm still discovering. Are you? I'm still turning these pages, these new chapters. I'm still asking questions about what life looks like behind every twist and turn. And there are blessings in that. And there's pain in that. And there's amazing thrills, right, of the ride. And then there's monotony of waiting in line. But there's new direction all the time. How about you? What's your story like? I can only imagine that some of you are sitting in here going, I cannot believe that I'm actually in church. Anybody, right? <laughs> like, like, I should be the last person sitting in church. What am I doing here? I should leave right now, right? What, what am I, what, why am I here? Why has my life looked like this? What, what, what has, has happened to bring me to this point today? What is your story like? Some of you sit here today with, uh, with some pain, some, some very deep pain. Part of your story right now might be a very dark chapter. Maybe you're experiencing broken relationship or, or personal failure. Maybe that's the, uh, the pain that you're in right now. Some of you might be feeling very alone. Maybe, maybe today, just coming, actually being here is kind of a last-ditch effort to see. What is this story? Who's this guy? Some of you actually are, are on the other part of the story and you're climbing this mountain and you can feel the butterflies in your stomach and it's about ready to drop out. Right? Just new experiences, new jobs, and new moves, and new places, and new chapters. That's the beauty of story, is that all of our life, your story, my story, is so very important. But here's the coolest part of story. The coolest part is your story immediately changes at intersections, doesn't it? It immediately changes when your story bumps into someone else's story. It's kind of like a car wreck a little bit, except it's not bad, right? You come to the intersection, bam! You're to it's different now. It's totally different. How can my life be the same after meeting my bride? <laughs> I'd like to get married to you. Don't expect anything to change, right? No, that doesn't happen. How, how could, how could life be, be just the same, continuing in the same direction after our two stories collide? That's my story. Dave Nelson inviting, inviting, uh, the Marshall family to join K2. And then meeting this guy, Eric Winter, our operations guy. And then falling in love with Mike Rutledge and Soggy. Soggy, who loves our children. And my story changes again. And then meeting this crazy, crazy German, uh, Christian. Christian, and, uh, and falling in love with him. Her story continues to change and change. And when we come to intersections where our stories bump each other, we are forever changed. And it happens again and again. We're still discovering our stories. The crazy thing about intersections too is that when I bump into your story, I, I start to realize that the whole entire story isn't about me, <laughs> right? 
that, that, that everything in life is not just about me, that there's so much more going on. See, I can't run into your story and just think that everything is about me. I can't because you interject into my life and I interject into your life and I, and I realize at that moment that I'm not the center of the universe. And that's really hard to take, isn't it? Right? Because some of us show up with our own lights, right? I just kind of carry this around with me, this whole thing right here, right? No, the, the, the universe doesn't, doesn't revolve around me. I'm just a part of the grand story. I'm not the center of it. There's something so much bigger going on in our life. No one person is the center. None of us are the center of that entire story. One of my favorite authors, his name is John Eldridge, says this. He says, life doesn't come to us like a math problem. It comes to us the way that a story does, scene by scene. You wake up, what will happen next? You don't get to know. You have to enter in. Take the journey as it comes. You think about math. You get the whole formula. You get to solve it right there. You get an answer. Eldridge is saying it's not like that. Life is a story and, and, and you have to discover it. You have to seek after it. I think that's why we love the big screen so much. We love movies so much because we love story. Remember the first movie you saw? What was it? Superman. Really? You know, mine was uh, E.T. <laughs> it really was. E.T. I saw it in Texarkana, Texas. No, Dallas, Texas on a family uh, vacation. E.T. And, and I, I, I may have seen movies before that, but that's the first one that I can actually remember. It's sitting in there. It was like this magical experience. I'm like, who knew? This exists. Did you know about this? You can pay money and see like the biggest thing. You know, and that's when we were kids, we had black and white TVs. Remember those, right? And they were actually not flat. They were larger. And, uh, and then you could actually go to the movies and see this. And I think there's something about that, that for two hours, we can be transported into this amazing, adventurous, unbelievable story, this fantasy and, and, and this drama and excitement that, you know, our lives pale in comparison to that. So we love that. We love the big screen. We love, we love that we, we kind of like to envision our lives being like that. Like, like all men want to be William Wallace, right? In, uh, what's the movie? Braveheart. Oh, yeah. Beat your chest, right? And all women want to be Meg Ryan in Sleepless in Seattle, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, I just, love, no, I, well, I don't personally. I'm more of a, you know, Wallace kind of guy. But, but I think that it's just, it's probably more about being more than just wanting to be an action hero or more than just wanting to be a, a leading lady that we're attracted to. I think that what, what it is is that the story actually draws our souls in. And we start to learn something about ourselves. And out of all the thousand of movies out there, it is very interesting, believe it or not, that the story behind all of them is pretty much the same. There's like, you could almost categorize it as like seven different acts or themes if you analyze all these, all these movies. And they show up repeatedly in books and movies. And you might be thinking, no way, how is that possible? How is it possible that like the Wizard of Oz and Friday the 13th and Dumb and Dumber have the same storyline? It's true though. Hang with me for a second here. Humor me, all right? You're like, I like to see him wiggle out of this one, right? No, but if you start to analyze it, I think that's why we're drawn to this, because we're drawn to story. We're drawn to discovery, because it kind of mirrors our life to some extent. And I think the grand, grand story comes from this right here. 
the story that started it all. In Act, uh, Act number one in this book, we get this amazing once upon a time where the story begins. And it actually begins this way. In the beginning, this grand story unfolds. And there's an author. And the author is God. In the beginning, He was there. And all things were made through Him. He authored it all. And there's, there's good and there's right. And it's beautiful. And it's a romantic tale of creation. Act chapter 2, <laughs> a villain arrives, right? A villain arrives, and, and before, before everything was great, evil is ushered in, and this villain steals the story. In Act 3, there's a conflict. And because of this villain on the scene, there's a conflict, and, and we, we refer to that as sin. And this conflict between uh, man and God and this separation that happens. And there's the, there's the conflict. That, that's the crux of the, of the whole entire story. That makes a great story, doesn't it? When there's a problem. If you just go to a movie and there's no problem, it's just like two people sitting in a coffee shop for two hours drinking coffee. You're like, wow, wow, this is not interesting at all, right? Great stories have a crux. They've got an issue in there. And in the Bible, in Act 3, we see that there's this villain and then there's this conflict. In Act 4... In God's Word, there's a hero that shows up. All of the Old Testament talks about this hero. All of these prophecies point to Jesus Christ. And then later on in the New Testament, he arrives on the, on the scene as Savior. In Act 5, there's this massive showdown that takes place between good and evil. Between Jesus Christ and our sin that's separated in His death on the cross. And in Act 6, there's a rescue. And the rescue is this, is that Jesus did not stay dead, did He? That He rose again, and He conquered sin and death. And then finally, the best is Act 7, where they live happily ever after. Where God triumphs, and He rescues, rescues us. And there's a new heaven and a new earth, and we spend eternity with Him. Almost every great story follows that. Those seven different acts. All great romances have their roots in this book right here. But here's the crux. The crux is this. Is that if the story is not about me, if you're not the center of the story, the grand story of life, if, if there's someone else that is, is on the stage and you and I play these, these bit walk-on parts in the grand story of life, if that's the truth, then the crux here is that you and I have entered the grand story kind of in the middle of it, haven't we? We've kind of entered into the middle of it, and because of that, we have a ton of questions. It's kind of like, you, 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 you know, you go, you, you go to a movie halfway and you're totally lost, aren't you? Okay, what's the guy doing? Why is he holding an anvil? Why, why is he talking to a cow, right? You know, who are these people? Can you explain to me? And, and your person sitting next to you is, I'll explain later. Don't worry about it. I know, but I have like another hour and a half, right? And you, and you can't track along with it. It's like somebody asking you, Hey, can you just kind of tell me what happened last, last season in 24? Can you catch me up? Ah. All right. So there's this guy, Jack Bauer. He shoots things. He saved a military complex by strapping a nuclear warhead on a yak. I don't know. I don't know how to explain this to you. How do you explain lost to somebody? 
They crash, there's a polar bear, there's some smoke, I don't know. You're kind of on your own there, right? How do you explain? You can't. You can't explain. It's hard. You have a lot of questions when you come into the middle of the story. That's why we uh, we did this this really cool questiongod.tv. Right? Did you see those? Some of you may have gotten those on your door, the little hangers. You've seen the billboards, question God. Because we're full of questions. We're coming into the middle of the story. There's a lot that's happened on either side. What's gone on before us? What's what's going on after us? You know, if, if, if I'm a part of it and not the center, then I want to know. I want to know what the grand part of the story is. So I start to ask questions. I start to discover. I start to kind of pull back the layers and go, now tell me, tell me, why is this? If, if this story is bigger than my own experience, then I need to know. I need to discover. And so we ask. And here's the kicker. I think sometimes we think that it's really bad to ask questions of God. Oh, Matt, you should not ask questions. But what's really cool is that that's how he made us. Some of you just kind of sighed a little bit of a relief inside. (sighs) Because you may have had guilt a lot in your life for asking questions like, man, maybe you don't have enough faith. Or maybe you're just such a horrible person. You have to ask God questions. You have to keep questioning him. God created us that way. He created us to be inquisitive, to, to know, to want to understand the grand story of our life. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, you'll see it on the screen here. Kind of gives us some insight into this. It says, He made everything beautiful in its time. And He also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to to end. Did you catch that little line in there? He said, I really like that phrase. He set eternity in their hearts. Literally, what that means is he's giving you and he's giving me the desire to want to know what the future is. The desire to to long for more. So to not be content right here, right now. I want to long for more. I want to know what the story is. I want to want I want to wonder why are we here? Where am I going? What's the purpose? What's the mission? What's the end result? I want to know that. I'm not content right here. And it's almost like he placed eternity in our hearts that this is a place where I can question God in my soul, in my heart. I can ask him, ask him the tough questions, continue to discover him. But notice what it also said in that verse there. Is it still up? He said that they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Okay, Andy's translation. We can't grasp God. <laughs> we, we cannot grasp Him. So maybe the flip side is this. If you think in your heart, well, I, don't, I just don't have any more questions for God, then your God isn't big enough. Because I cannot figure out God. I had somebody uh, recently sent me down. They said, hey, can you explain the Trinity? Okay. So we went through a ton of different verses, and at the end they go, I don't get it. I'm like, me neither. I don't understand it. I don't either. Well, you should understand. I can't understand that. I can't understand all of who God is. The moment I start to understand who God is and fully get them figured out, guess what? That's not who God is. Because He is bigger than my understanding. He's bigger than my intellect. Do I really want a God that my intellect can handle? No. That's not what I want. And so it says here, you cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. The story is so big that we continue to discover, and He created us to do that, still to discover all the time. 
There's also another crux in here. The other crux is that when we come into the middle of the story, not, you know, not only do we come into the middle of the story, but the reason why we ask questions is because oftentimes we don't know the author. We don't know the one who is writing the story. And so we ask questions. And this is a conflict that we find in Scripture here. So let me explain it this way. Every single one of us is born with this nature, this, this nature inside of us that is bent away from God, that we are turning away from God. We're born bent towards self, bent towards Andy Marshall and away from God. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says it pretty clearly this way. For all have sinned and all fall short of God's glorious standard. So the crux here is that God has his standard. Be holy, be holy. But the, but the problem is in my heart, I'm bent away from God. And my situation is that, that I come out of the womb absolutely sinning like a banshee. If you need proof of that, you just look at your children, don't you? Right? Right? Why did you smack your sister? Did you smack her? Yes, I did. Why? I couldn't help it. You know? Have you had that answer? Why did you hit her? I just, she was there. <laughs> you are sinning. I know. I know. <laughs> right? You just look at your children. Great. We have this nature that's bent away from God. And there's the problem, is that this sin inside of us creates this crux, this, this divide in our relationship with the author. And so we come into the middle of the story, and I don't understand the story because I don't know the author. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. In those days, you were living apart from Christ, separated. You were excluded from God's people, Israel. And you did not know the promises of God that God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Because our natures are bent away from Him, we're living apart. We're separated. We don't meet His standard because of our sin. And we don't know Him. What do you do when you meet somebody brand new? You ask questions, don't you? What do you do when you see someone from afar and you watch them at a distance? You start to ask questions, don't you? Why, why did you do what you did? Why, why are you doing the things that you are doing? You have to ask them. If you want to get to know somebody, you ask. I remember when Beth and I first met, right? You remember when you first met your spouse? Now we go to bed at what time? Like 10, right? <laughs> you sleep. But when you first meet somebody... What time do you go to bed? You don't, right? You don't. You basically sit up all night and you're like, what color are your eyes? Wow, what size is your foot, right? And, and you go through all the important details and you get down to, tell me your social security number, right? Now that's just creepy. And then you start, you know, what, what are your hobbies? What are you into? What, what makes your heart tick? What are you passionate about? What do you love? Pizza or hot dogs, right? And you go through all of the whole thing. You ask all the questions. You get to know them. But here's the key. It's not just an intellectual pursuit, is it? It's just not intellectual. It's, it's about a relational pursuit that necessitates the questions. In other words, if I was asking Beth as an attorney, tell me the color of your eyes. Tell me, you know, these things about yourself. She would be like, whoa, back off, brother. You, know, you, do you want to know my heart? You just want to intellectually know me. No, I want to relationally know her. And so asking questions, Falling in love with God is not about this debate. And I know some people love that, and that's fine. I personally do not. But I think it, when, you, when you ask questions of God, when you go after Him and really pursue Him and continue to seek, there's two really important things that happen. One 
is that he's, he wants us to be honest with him, to be really frank and honest with him. See, because without truth, there is no real way for relationship to happen unless I'm honest with God. And he has the grace. I need to tell you that. God has the grace to engage us in that truth. I don't believe that God is afraid of our questions. He has the grace to engage us and meet us where we are honestly at. I think the second thing is this, is that God asks us to be humble too. It's not about intellectual pursuit. It's about relational pursuit. So if it's about intellectual pursuit, I'm just merely wanting to question God to dismantle Him or to dominate Him or grill Him or going after Him. But rather, being humble means that I'm questioning God to go into relationship. That He wants to engage me relationally. And here's the good news. This is why K2 exists right here, guys. The good news is that you can know the author. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, we read the first one that goes on in verse 24. You'll see it on the screen here. For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. There's the crux. Verse 24, yet now God in His gracious kindness declares us not guilty. He has done this through Jesus Christ who has freed us by taking away our sins. He wants to know us. He did it so much. He wants it so bad that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to bring us back into relationship through, through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Freeing you, freeing me from our sin. And then also look at this, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. We, we read verse 12, and I'm going to read it again and go on to verse 13. In those days you were living apart from Christ. There's the problem. You were excluded from God's people, Israel. You did not know the promises that God had made to them. You lived in this world without God, with a, without hope. Here it is, verse 13. Listen to this. But now you belong to Christ Jesus. Though you were once far away from God, you were separated, you didn't understand, you didn't know the story, you were out of relationship with Him. Once you were far away from God, now you have been brought near to Him because of what? Because of the blood of Christ. The bottom line is I can understand, I can know the author of the story through Jesus Christ. I have access to God in relationship with Him. And when I accept that forgiveness for my sin, for this nature that's bent away from God, I start to know the author. One of the things I love doing the most is, uh, do you do this on DVDs? Do you, do you ever listen to the director's cut? That's really, really fun. You can turn it on. If you haven't, haven't ever done this, you can turn it on. You can actually hear the director talking in the background. He's like, when we filmed this scene, here's what I thought. I thought there would be a red car. We had to replace it with a white car. You know, and they go through all the details. You're like, this is fascinating. And you get to hear it all. And, and, and it's almost like the movie has a whole different side to it that you ever, never even knew about. As it is with God, we are invited in to the story to know the author personally, to know his heart intimately through what Jesus Christ did for us. As we close here, like I want to ask you this question too. What would happen in your life? What would happen in my life? What could be the potential of my story if I really knew 
God. If I really knew the author, if God and I were, were seriously in this relationship together, what would the potential of my life be like? In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, there is this phenomenal, beautiful, beautiful picture that Paul writes here of what story looks like if you and I would still discover and fall in love with the author. Here's what he says, starting in verse 14. When I think of the wisdom and scope of God's plan. Isn't this beautiful? Paul says, I fall to my knees. It's almost like he's melting when he thinks about who this author is, when he starts to understand the plan that God has for Paul, when he, when he, when he starts to read this love letter here and pull apart and turn the pages more and more and understand the scope and the wisdom of God, Paul is saying, I just kind of crumple to my knees at the thought of who God is and what he has for my life. Paul was, he calls himself the, the, the worst of all sinners. Like the, the, the best sinner of all. That's kind of what Paul says. Before he fell in love with God and he started to become a, a follower of Jesus Christ, he was out killing people. He was a murderer. He was a horrible guy. And here he's saying here, he goes, when I think of who God is, I fall to my knees. What has Paul experienced that would cause him to fall to his knees? He fell in love with the author of his story. And the author rewrote Paul's story. See, God is about redeeming your story. You may have come to K2 today and uh, you're smiling. You know, you got out of the car. You were arguing on the way with your spouse, but you got out and everything was good, right? Come on, kids. And you went in. <laughs> everything looks great. But on the inside, maybe you're dying a little bit. Maybe there's pressures that you're dealing with. Maybe some parts of your story are falling apart. Maybe in shambles a little bit. Maybe you have a little bit of anxiety because you don't actually know how the story ends. And that causes you to lay awake and stare at your ceiling fan at night. Because there isn't any hope. See, when you fall in love with the author of the story, the scope and the wisdom of God's plan is revealed to you through His love letter. God redeems your story. God rewrites your story if you place your trust in Him. Paul goes on in verse 14. He says this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father. Verse 15, the Creator of all, of, of everything in heaven and on earth. And I pray that from His glorious unlimited resources that He will give you a mighty inner strength through His Holy Spirit. And I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts as you trust Him. And may your roots go down deep. Oh, don't you love that? Go down deep into the soil, right? Of God's marvelous love. What would your, what would your life look like? If, if you engaged God and discovered God and fell into relationship with Him, He says it right here. If we, if you would ask the tough questions and wrestle with God and dive in, Paul is saying then you get a great, mighty inner strength. Anybody want that? I want that. Sign me up. Which line is that? I'll take that. I'll take the great, mighty inner strength. And I love that beautiful little, little picture there of the roots going down into God's love. I want that. 
I totally want that. I want the deep roots of God's love in my life. I need that. In other words, the more I engage the author of the grand story that I've entered into the middle of, the more I do that, His greatness extends into my life. You know what that's called? That's called purpose. And Paul says, that's why I get weak in the knees. Verse 18. We're not even done yet. Verse 18. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep His love really is. There's understanding there for us. And may you experience the love of Christ. Though, though it is so great, you'll never fully understand it. There it is. You're going to always be asking more questions, always seeking, always discovering. Um, and then you will be filled with the fullness of life. Wow. And power that comes from God. Verse 20. Now glory be to God by His mighty power at work within us. He is able to accomplish infinitely more than we would ever dare or ask or hope. May He be given glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever through the endless ages. Amen. Can you not read that passage and not put an amen at the end of that? Someone's like Paul is saying, this is what you get when you fall in love with the author of your story. Amen! This is what you get. What would happen in your life if you engaged the one who has written your story? We begin to grasp His deep love for us. Paul says our life is full the fullness of life and the power from God. I love this phrase in here. He says too, I think it's in, what is that, verse 20 there, that He would accomplish infinitely more than we would ever dare to ask. What a very interesting statement. Because very often in prayer, what's the number one thing that we do? We ask, right? God, I, you know, or God, can you, or God, can you please help, or this, or we ask. And Paul is saying here, do you, do you understand that His power is so great, infinitely more than you would ever dare to ask God, that's what He wants to accomplish for you. What would your life be like if we engage this great God, this loving God, the One who writes our story, the One who redeems our story? Folks, that's why five years later, we're still questioning, we're still discovering, we're still seeking after God here at KTM. There is no greater pursuit than to discover who He is and the plans He has for our life. And I got to tell you, I got a ton of questions for God. Do you? I so have a ton of questions for Him. I can't wait for the moment when I sit before His feet and be able to ask Him all kinds of different things and begin to understand why. Who? Tell me, God, about your character. Tell me about the, the depth of who you are. I want to understand. I want to I know. And the more I ask questions in my life, the deeper my relationship goes with Him. Because it's not just about intellectual pursuit. It's about relational pursuit. And the God of this love letter here can handle those questions. I want to invite the band to come on up and we're going to actually spend a little bit of time worshiping this God. And as they come, I, I want to tell you for the next four weeks here at K2, we're going to tackle 
a lot of those questions. The questiongod.tv you've seen on the billboards, you got the flyer. A lot of people have been going to the website. Have you been? Asking all kinds of questions. We've taken the top four questions. I'll tell you about those at the end of today. And we're not going to pull any punches on those questions. We think it's really, really valuable that K2 be a place that's safe where you can ask these questions. And we're going to have some honest dialogue in the next several weeks about these questions. And my hope is, is that you would position yourself to make this a very relational pursuit with God, not just an intellectual one, but a relational pursuit that, that you would engage God. And really what I mean by that is use this, this time as we answer some of these questions, use this as a time to humbly and honestly come before God to get to know Him. And I have to tell you, if you would do that, your life potentially will never be the same again. Because when your life intersects with God's story, everything changes. And that's why we exist here at KTO. To introduce you to the author of the greatest story, of the greatest romance, the greatest story of Him wooing us that's ever been written. This God who, who has sent His Son to die for you, to die for me, to give us hope for the future, strength for today. And the best of that is forgiveness for everything that I've done. He redeems my story. And in redeeming that story, I have to tell you, gosh, I I didn't even ever think I would be standing here talking to you guys. But when God gets a hold of your life and gets a hold of your story, it is the grandest adventure that you could ever, ever, ever imagine. Because when I start to understand that my story is in the context of a larger story, then I start to be able to understand why am I here, God? What does the future hold? What do you want from me? I ask questions. I discover. I'm still seeking after five years. And this is a great place that you can do that in. Welcome to KTF. Thanks for being here. Thanks for discovering. Thanks for taking a step forward and engaging this God. Would you pray with me? God, I, I want to thank you first and foremost that you are so incredibly complex and magnificent that my mind, my, my little finite mind cannot fully understand you. Thank you for being that. Because God, quite frankly, I would be very, very nervous if I start to really actually understand who you are. I don't want that. I don't want a God that can fit into my little tiny box just so perfectly. That's not who you are. You are magnificent. You are creator king. You are phenomenal. You are mind-blowing. You have created everything you see. You are infinitely wise. The scope of your plans are, are, are off the chart. They're just amazing. Thank you for being that to us. Thank you for being that type of God. And God, thank you too for being a father, a loving father that doesn't get angry when we ask questions, that will engage us, that you can handle our questions. 
Thanks for meeting us there. Thanks for, thanks for resolving the conflict and redeeming our stories through Jesus Christ. Thanks for this grand adventure. Lord, we love you so much. Our praise and our worship is for you. Our lives are for you. Come before your throne now, God, and we worship you as King. We pray it in the great name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As we go into worship, here, here's, here's the deal at K2. We want to invite you to just really allow your surroundings, the people around you, to just kind of melt away. If this could be a gift for you right now, to just be with God, and maybe... Maybe for some of you, this might be kind of a first. You may have never experienced worship before, entered into a song like this and sing. Some of you just may want to sit and contemplate that and listen to the words and reflect, grapple with God a little bit and pray. Some of you may want to stand. But that's the beauty. You do what you need to do in order to connect with Him today. You worship Him. You. God together, relationally worshiping. Often when we think about worship, we only think about music sometimes, you know, just think about the song or, or the lyrics. But another tangible, great way to worship is, is through offering. And sometimes that can just be so weird. But really when you start to think about our resources that God has given to us, He's given me so very much. If you feel compelled out of gratitude to give back to Him, not to Kate's give back to God through an act of worship. So please join us in that. But if not, feel free to let it pass. Only if it's an act of worship to God. Would you worship with us? Let's spend some time with you.